What's up, everyone, and welcome to our review of The Mandalorian, Episode 8, Redemption. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and YouTube. This review will mostly be spoiler content, so this is a friendly minor. Just get out of here. Don't, don't, don't show up until you watch the episode. Don't do it. Just, just leave. Maybe watch Rise of Skywalker, then come to the episode. Just, no, it's, it's spoiler content. Yeah. You know the drill by now. Hopefully you know the drill by now. But yeah, there was a lot of good things uh, for the season finale. Uh, and we're going to go over general thoughts here about the episode. And then um, just for the sake of time, then we're going to hit uh, our discussion of the season as a whole and give our review of that. So without further ado, here we go for Taika Watiti's directing debut. John, what'd you think? I thought it was probably one of the best ways this season could have ended, honestly. Um, I mean, even from the beginning, like knowing Taika Waititi's humor, it was it was funny right off the bat, uh, which kind of balanced out, I think, the darkness of some parts of the episode. Um, but I loved I loved the character development we got. I loved uh, Moff Gideon in this episode. The, uh, the 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 character growth that we got, especially from the Mandalorian, given where he was in Episode One, uh, and I think it it tied off this whole season pretty well, and and also definitely set up some great things for Season Two. Oh yeah, one hundred percent agree with everything you said. If anything, this episode would probably be my favorite, and um, with the way things are going in this modern day and age in television. Most people don't like how season finales pan out. Yeah, this was fantastic for me. I really enjoyed the story, the amount of um, Easter eggs that was put into this from the uh, the fandom and just the general Star Wars lore. I think this is the bright spot of Lucas of the um, Lucasfilm and Star Wars property under Disney's hands. So, I really like this episode. There's there's very little I can say I disliked except for maybe a few of the choices as far as um, a little bit of the action but a lot of the action I really really liked yeah I'd say probably the cheesiest part of the episode was at the very end uh, right after the Mandalorian took down that TIE fighter and Grief Karga is just talking to them and and every, every time he talks he just sounds like a character from a video game who's just spouting off exposition right before you start a side quest. And yeah, <laughs> he, but I, li- whole... I like it a lot. I like what I like grief Karga's character and being kind of a video gamey. Like, Hey, why are you doing, what are you doing? Stay here with us. We got a good thing going, man. I mean, he does it very well. It's just, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird contrast between what he's doing and what everyone else around him is doing. And now he's like, well, we wiped out all the scum and villainy from this place. It's a great planet. You should stay here. And I mean, I like him and I like his choice. It's it out of everything that happened. It was probably just the most awkward for me. But that's that doesn't say much about his performance or about the episode as a whole. Yeah, I think you could take away a couple of things from him, but mostly the episode is full of good things. And for particular, I'm just going to list off some things that I really loved and you could jump in. Wow, the Darksaber. It is back. Oh, we're just going right for it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Darksaber, <laughs> that ending. That's what got me is when I saw that. And I still haven't finished The Clone Wars. I still need to get around to binging it. But when I saw the Darksaber, I know what it is. And I 
was very shocked and it was everything I wanted from a Star Wars movie. That is a reveal that works really well. Um, Rise of Skywalker, I'm looking at you. <laughs> oh. uh, but the Darksaber was great to see it in the hands of, um, of uh, Moff Gideon. And it, it's great to know that uh, Mandalorian knows who Moff Gideon is and how that relation goes, goes back, which now reminds me of the flashback. The flashback yes. was awesome, and we get a. We just did some research on this before we got into the podcast. That that was Death Watch from the Clone Wars that saved the Mandalorian uh, as a foundling, and it's so cool. I love it. More lore connection. I just I can't get over how well they put this together, and it was just it was just a really nice Easter egg and. It's gonna help us define, like, you know, why is he, why is he where he is? Is Death Watch still a thing? I love that this explanation we're gonna get, gonna get to. Well, and I think it makes total sense for Moff Gideon to have gotten the dark saber at the very end, because he was supposed to have been there during the Great Purge. Um, so I mean, it it makes complete sense for them to have set it up, even without us knowing at the beginning of the episode that he was there killing off all these Mandalorians. Um, during this time when they would have had it, and if it was Death Watch, they are they are the ones in possession of the dark saber to begin with. Um, so he must have killed off the last owner of it, and he's held on to it, and so now it pits the Mandalorian against this Mandalorian weapon that's gone up against Jedi, and it it adds an entirely new dynamic to them that I didn't even know that we needed, but now I can't get away from. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. It adds that new dimension, and uh, part of the episode. Probably my favorite part with the episode, um, the Darksaber is a fantastic reveal, but the sequence of IG-11 on the speeder bike running through town <laughs> is everything I wanted. Like, that was so cool because I remember episode one just watching uh, IG-11 just blast dudes off and now we see him with Baby Yoda on a speak uh, on a speeder it's it, it may it that felt so star wars and it was also tense because you see him coming in with the baby and you don't know what's going to happen then he starts popping off and you think like maybe he's going to get stopped but no he keeps going that was a fantastic like uh that was a fantastic action sequence that you know hats off to the the team that thought of, you know, this would be a great idea. How do we film this? I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> well, I think it, it it works so well because that type that type of droid is capable of so many things that other like regular people aren't. And with it being a droid, he can twist around, he can bend over backwards like he does. Um, he's got that incredible aim in contrast with the stormtroopers. Um, and so to see him uh, come in and save the day like that, I mean it. It was just fun to watch, honestly. And, uh, I mean, it, it's definitely because of him that they were able to get out of that situation at all. Yeah, absolutely. IG, and we talked about this too, that IG-11 would come to save the day or if they'd switch to the dark side. So this was really cool to see that come to light. There is one thing that um, I want to get your thoughts on. What did you think about the reveal of Mandalorian's not only name, but his face? I well, so we've talked about this before where I had hoped that they would strip the Mandalorian of his armor and uh, 
bring about that shame i think that he was trying to um, yeah kind of prevent this whole time um but i think it shows the the depth of the knowledge that moff gideon had where he knew uh who is it um sun Tzu, uh uh know your enemy um he knew exactly who he was going up against he knew Kara dune and her full name Kara cynthia dune of alderaan um, which then gives her character depth about why she joined uh the rebels to begin with as a uh as a way to avenge alderaan i thought i thought um, like i thought he when he said her name i i was like did he just say coruscant dune like, i was so <laughs> confused like is she named after a planet yeah but i mean uh I I mean we've there, so Pedro Pascal leaked in in a very early interview what his character's name was and I'm glad that it didn't get I don't think super well known or super publicized um, but I it I mean the fact that we know his name doesn't really do a whole lot for me as far as like taking away the the mystery of his character to a degree um, I think it it it's more of a demonstration of the capabilities of moff gideon and less about the mandalorian himself yeah for me i did hear the name din jaren like on a podcast by accident but it was such a lame name that it didn't stick and so i didn't remember that i had heard it until we started talking about it but as far as the the face reveal i thought it was kind of i think the way the reason they did it like um the tension in him being like, please don't. And the droid's like, I'm not a living thing. It won't go against your creed or whatever. I thought that yeah. was really clever. But Pedro, it just looked like Pedro Pascal. Like, it's the most realistic thing we get. He's got, like, really sweaty. He's got, like, his hair is all damp and oily. Like, it wasn't any great reveal like you would see in other shows or or in Star Wars in general. Like, when... um. Leia takes off her helmet when she's going to save Han Solo from Jabba the Hutt, or when you take off the mask for Darth Vader. It just didn't feel, it didn't feel like anything like that. It just felt like, yeah, this is, this is a real uh, unmasking, and it's kind of a, kind of a letdown. Well, and to me, it was less about what he actually looked like because we all know what pedro pascal looks like and and when you cast a big name like that like you know at some point he's going to be revealing his face yeah but he, lo- he looks so sad well now that i'm thinking well, about that, it so so that's my that's why i think it was so powerful was because up until that point you don't really know exactly where uh, like how damaged he is physically to that point because he's covered head to toe in that armor but by reveal by by unmasking him you see to the degree to which he's struggling, to which he's bleeding and how close to death he is. And you see that that low that they really brought him down to. And I think if they didn't take off his helmet, you could... It, it, they wouldn't have that same emotional impact um, as it would if you, if you just showed his armor, maybe with a couple burn marks on it. But I mean, it's pretty impenetrable armor. Yeah, I, my issue... And this is really me having a stupid opinion. I understand this take is very dumb, but he just looked very constipated in the scene when the helmet <laughs> taken off. Like, go back and watch it, where it's just like, he's kind of like, kind of wincing at his eyes looking up at IG-88, and he's just got like this, this facial expression that says like, I need to take a huge dump, but I'm in this armor and it's not going to happen. But obviously it's because he's in a lot of pain. And yes. It, it makes sense. It, it does. I'm just, I don't know. 
I felt like I'd get something else um, from it. As great as this episode was, the action in it, the suspense, there was another thing besides the reveal that kind of got to me, and that was Din Djarin leaving Cara Dune and Grief Karga. It felt mm-hmm. kind of... He didn't say, like, thank you or goodbye. It's just like, you know, Cara Dune's like, take care of him. And he's like, I will. And Grief Karga says his thing's like, you always got a place back. And then... He turns around and then flies off into the sunset. I was like, wait, what? what? You're not going to be like, thank you for everything or like fist bump or high five. I don't know. I know he's I know he's a Mandalorian. The emotion is not there, but they they helped him. They saved his skin or he screwed up their whole their all their stuff kind of in a way. And now, you know, where's the return of thanks? It just felt very weird because I thought this was going to be the crew going forward. It did feel a little sudden, I would say, especially especially considering the fact that they just shot down that TIE fighter and they didn't even really go over and confirm that he was dead. And I mean, it didn't explode. There was no proof that, that he didn't survive and they just let it drop and then they moved on. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's got to be basically like a reset for where, where season two starts. Um, and I think he's going to be off on his own in space with Baby Yoda. I don't think he's going to be tied down by those characters. I mean, I'm curious to see with them staying on on Navarro like that, what um, what Moff Gideon does, and if he hunts them down, and maybe if he kills them or puts them in mortal danger, and they have to bring back the Mandalorian to Navarro, it pits Cara Dune and um, Grief Karg, um against Moff Gideon. At the beginning he's, of season two. He's still on the planet, as far no, as yeah. we know. <laughs> so yeah, He was walking around, so he's not he's not out of it. No, he's not. Um, you know, we've kind of talked a lot about, about this epi- episode, things we liked, things we didn't like, um, some really cool scenes. Uh, is there anything else uh, before... I have a very interesting question for you. So, is there anything else you got about this episode? No, about this episode, I mean, just the fact that it paid off a lot of things from the first few episodes he finally got that jet part jet pack he uh yeah. he earned his signet of the mud horn um baby yoda is his foundling he's a father now um papa yeah papa mando papa mando uh, and it was just overall it felt very satisfying to me as a fan and uh definitely restored my faith after all of those side quest episodes yeah i definitely feel the same way just this was by far the shining spot of this season so far. Um, it does make up for a lot of the missed opportunities with like the B plot and the filler episodes. This makes up for that. Even though this episode went a different way than I thought the season was going to end, I like this ending a lot better, and I like the way they set it up for the next season. Which comes to my question: Yes, what do you think they're going to do for season two? So I think. I think we're definitely going to see a desperate Moff Gideon. His his forces are all wiped out. It's just him and the Darksaber now. So we really will probably get to see him use more of his cunning and ingenuity as a strategist and as a fighter. I don't want them to find uh, Baby Yoda species or planet. I think there's a reason why it's left untouched by Lucas. I just, I, I hope that they don't fully pursue that direction um but i i'm i'm also worried that they're gonna 
have the first few episodes be more of those side quest missions like the middle of the season was just given kind of where everybody is but i I mean i think john favreau has kind of earned our trust at this point given everything that he's been able to do but i i hope that we get to see uh, a mandalorian versus dark saber fight and i definitely think they're going to pay that off they still haven't paid off who found uh fennec shand in the desert so i think that'll more more than likely be paid off within the first few episodes of the next season and i mean honestly other than those few things there really aren't that many loose ends from this season which i think is pretty surprising yeah i i like it like i said earlier i think they they ended it quite nicely and uh the fennec shan thing if that was moff gideon the whole the whole time it's just it just felt awkward and stupid like we have no sure way that it was him um, and people are talking about like spurs online, like, oh, they were wearing spurs, whoever it was. And Moff Gideon doesn't have spurs on his boots, blah, 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 blah. So I kind of feel, I kind of feel the same confusion as the fan base where I'm just like, but why? Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely understand that with the loose ends, but I'm actually looking forward to, uh, finding out the Yoda species. I want an explanation, but I can see why you're apprehensive because of the way, uh, Lucas Art or Lucas Films has been handling a lot of Star Wars content. As long as it, as long as it's in John Favreau's hands, <laughs> I think I'm happy. Same thing with if Dave Filoni is there, like feeding him lore, not really telling him like, "Hey, you should make a story about this." No, Dave, go away. Just yeah. just tell me what works. Just tell me what's in the universe, and I will make it happen. Just let me let me write it. Be the you encyclopedia, know? not the writer. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's like my because Dave Filoni is writing for kids, and The Mandalorian is my adult show. Like, yes. make it an adult Star Wars show, please. I would be very excited to see what they do with The Mandalorian. I hope that um, we eventually get to see Yoda talk, or Baby Yoda talk to him and say words, or maybe speak telepathically. I think that would be cool. Kind of like this Independence Day uh, kind of power. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just want, I want them to be able to communicate at some point. That would be cool for me. Uh, and in season two, I really I really would like to see that happen. And I think we're going to get more of a Moff Gideon chase across the galaxy trying to get the Mando. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see. I mean, because I, I think we got what I had wanted with the Mandalorian kind of being stripped down and, and basically like starting over as far as um, he had his helmet taken off on the brink of death. But now I think we're going to see Moff Gideon in kind of a similar situation at the start of season two and get to see him come back and kind of crawl his way back into the same position he was in before where he won't have the same types of resources, the same type of help. It's going to be him versus the Mandalorian who's already beaten him once. I hope that especially given the caliber of uh, Giancarlo Esposito and his type of performance, I hope that they really use that to their fullest extent and um, go with the real subtleties I think that he's capable of. I mean, I just it's going to be a really dramatic, really character-driven season two. Man, I, that's what I want, and I, I'm, I'm excited for it. But let's go ahead and talk about the season one. It's finished. It's over with. Let's go ahead and review that. And I want to get, I want to get your thoughts on the things, the things you expected going into it and what you got instead. Going into it, I think I expected more of 
like what happened in the last in, in episode three and episode seven and eight, um, where it's a bit more action packed, uh, a bit more force powers to a degree, um, and definitely what we got was uh, what heavily western influenced um, lone gunman type of story, saving a child, uh, protecting him. I I think overall. I think the season, given that we have the full perspective now, I think it worked, and I'd probably give the season in like an eight out of ten. I think, um, and I think it was, I think overall it was definitely really brought down by those middle few episodes that really didn't tie into the greater story yet. Uh, given that like the prison break episode, which I thought parts of it were really strong, but overall it didn't tie into season one. Uh, after that fact, or after that point. And other than introducing Cara Dune, uh, the episode on her planet hasn't paid off in any other way as well. Um, well, he might go back in season two and bang it out with the woman. I don't know. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, there's definitely that opportunity to go back and revisit these things in season two. Um, like seeing his uh, original crew uh, with those mercenaries, and going back and seeing how that uh, the rest of that planet that he was on uh, has survived. Uh, after he and Cara Dune left, um, but it, I mean, it was it was definitely, and I, I've I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It was a different story than what they marketed it as. Um, I'm I'm content with how it worked out in the end, but it definitely left us hanging there for quite a while. Yeah, I would agree. Um, for me, though, the expectations I wasn't planning on seeing any Force users in this. Uh, from what I was expecting from the Mandalorian, I was expecting. You know, we, we saw the trailers about bounty hung, hunting as a dangerous business or career, whatever it is. Uh, I was expecting more along the lines of the bounty hunting world, the underworld, and just looking at maybe a bad guy doing bad things or maybe getting caught with the wrong crew or something like that and has to go on the run by himself or... Um, just uh, just along those lines, you know, seeing seeing a bad guy and then finding them relatable as they struggle with doing bad things and wanting to be good. And with this, we kind of got something different. We got a we got a parental parental relationship between you know the Mando and the baby Yoda. He's still bounty hunters being bad, but a lot of these episodes don't really the the they're not concise because of those filler episodes and that's the worst part of the season is those filler episodes i can understand if it's uh 15 episodes or 20 episodes and you're gonna have a few filler episodes in between but the three out of your eight episodes are filler yeah it it just it it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me i don't know i don't know in what mind they were like yes filler that's how we do it you know if you if you don't have it if you don't have uh, the stuff to make this show good, you call it a miniseries. Or, you know what? Tell us that the episodes are going to be 20 minutes long. And yeah. then make it the fill it out to eight to eight episodes. And I definitely, I hope at least that they take those things that we are saying are filler now and pay off a little bit more in season two to where it continues to tie things together. Because there were, there were definitely plot threads that were left open at the beginning of the season that in episodes seven and eight they tied off uh like ig11's fate uh cara dune her coming back and helping uh mandalorian out um grief karga his his character pivot as far as um being just the head of the guild and then uh helping out the mandalorian and and killing off those other bounty hunters that were going to take him down 
my thing my thing with that is with what the expectation was going into this is that it, it, it somehow is still reflecting the faults with the new trilogy that come out. It's just inconsistent. And that is not so much as... That's not so much of a, of a you know, like, oh, execution. That's, like, baseline. That's, like, from, that's pre-production type of crap. And I can't get over that fact and I, uh, that I'm seeing it in The Mandalorian as well, which I think is a better consistent product than the new trilogy and i'll say that as someone who did like rags of skywalker and a force awakens and i actually like i didn't like the last jedi when it first came out but i kind of like it more now with the rise of skywalker i could still see all the flaws that people are complaining about and mandalorian they do need to listen to fans not necessarily do everything the fans want you know that's why you are a creator but disney needs to have a plan and stick with it. Stick with the plot, because this—they don't do this with the Avengers. No. All of their all of their stuff connects. There no. was no point to that um, to the Fennec Shan stuff. I, I just don't get how in with all the creativity that goes behind this, if you didn't account for the backlash of something being pointless. It's just not good writing for a television show this size. Yeah, and it, they haven't paid it off yet. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll give them the benefit. I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt so far. Um, but you're right. I And we've talked about this uh, right before we started recording. I don't think Kathleen Kennedy is going to stay on. Or she. I think she's going to be forced out by the end of 2020, given the way that the new trilogy has worked out and those spinoff movies that they wanted. Um and kind of the, if she had anything to do with the negative aspects of the Mandalorian, um, I think it shows that she is not to the degree of a producer that Kevin Feige is. And that you're right, like they don't have that unified vision of this is the roadmap we're going to follow. This is how we're going to get there. This is point A, B, and C. And this is how we're going to finish it out. Um, there's not that strong sense of leadership from the top down. Uh, they have the creators that they need. They have the writers and the talent that they have, uh, which is definitely a huge building block for this. But they don't have that overall vision that Kevin Feige has basically been able to produce since uh, basically since the first Avengers movie where he fully yeah. took over. Yeah, but he he's um, the different. I think you, you're on the right track. I, I think that what they're missing is not only strong leadership; it's a visionary, yeah, someone who's like, "This is what I want Star Wars to be, and this is how we're going to do it." And Kathleen Kennedy isn't; she's not a huge Star Wars nerd. It's not something like she grew up with, thinking like, "Oh my gosh, don't you know that Star Wars is the greatest thing ever?" And you know, goes into all this lore stuff. It's kind of like she picked a team who knew Star Wars, and she's like, "Well, I kind of want it to be like this. Make it happen. We'll review the stuff." And you're looking over products. It's like um, they joke about board meetings where it's a bunch of 50-year-old men trying to figure out how to market, like, toys to kids. Yeah. It's, it, it makes no sense, and I think that's what we get here with Kathleen Kennedy. I agree. I agree with you. I don't, I don't think we're going to see her till the end. I think it'll be a harmonious send-off for her, um, but The Mandalorian definitely is a bright spot in the eyes that she isn't a television producer as much as a movie producer. And John Favreau, I think this was a great first season. Most of the time, first seasons for shows are terrible or subpar. Not many start off with a bang, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So this is a this is a good stepping stone. Going and he forward. was like you said like in, in the first season is it's typically where they find their footing and the the voice of the show, and I think from the beginning we got the type of uh, of voice that this TV show was going to be. It kind of faltered a little bit in the middle, but I think it was clear from the beginning uh, the type of show we were going to get, and it was consistent through the series to the end. There was consistent character developments. Nothing felt like it came out of nowhere um, or was a surprise in, in a bad way, and I definitely think it's going to just continue to grow going into season two. Yeah, and you gave a score of 8 out of 10 for um, this series. If I'm basing it off seasons alone, for a first season, a start, I would I would agree with an 8 out of 10. But if I'm talking about um, just a random season for a show, I would give this I would give this as a as a standalone season, probably a 7 6.5 kind of score. I don't um, I do see there's so many bright spots, and I believe the fan base sees it. There's so many great things about this show, about this season, but it kind of fell short with the middle part. You know, if you're having a burger, and your bread, you got the perfect Hawaiian bun, I don't know what it is, the potato bun, delicious, and then the meat on the inside is subpar, it's kind of a shitty sandwich. That's fair. And that's what I felt like this, where I'm like, oh my gosh, the beginning of this show is so good. Why did they do that? It makes... What, where are we? Like, when are we going to get the A-plot? And then you get it. It's like, oh, thank God. And then, like, as our discussions were the past few weeks, we're like, wow, we have our doubts. We hope they stick the landing on this because it doesn't feel good. This is a roller coaster ride. And that's why I'm willing to score this lower for a standalone season. But for a season one, I'll agree with an eight out of ten. I'm excited to see season two. We're going to have to wait... A long time for it because it's supposed to come out what 2022 no no they 2021 2020 they're almost right? done with it uh i think it's gonna just be the fall of 2020 i hope so that would be great yeah they uh they they're almost done filming it now so they should have about six months of post-production i mean because a lot of it's practical which is pretty great for a star wars type of series um, yeah that's good do you think do you think they're gonna still do episodic or do you think they're gonna do like a complete release and binge worthy content? No, no. I think with Disney Plus it's gonna consistently be uh episodic every week because they with Netflix I think they have the library to warrant people getting a membership and keeping it. But especially now, I think Disney is really relying on those people coming back week to week to week and keeping that membership long term. Um now, granted, like next fall when this comes back out with season two, we'll also have the Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, in the fall as well, and uh, so there will be a couple more things to continue bringing people in. And basically, from this coming fall, fall twenty twenty, going forward, there's going to be uh, a new Marvel TV show, uh, pretty much piggybacking on the ending of the previous one. Uh, so we'll have some pretty consistent content in that regard. And I'm hoping that we get some more con- Star Wars content besides just The Mandalorian. Yeah, or that Rebel, or that Resistance show, whatever it is. Um, we are getting Kenobi. Don't know when that's coming out. Yeah. Um, but with Deborah Chow working on it, I'm excited uh, to see where they go. And yeah, it's been good. Some faults, 
But overall, I think John Favreau has won the fan base, and uh, he is my vote to take over Star Wars. That would be uh, freaking fantastic for me. And uh, his resume is getting stronger by the project. I would definitely agree. Uh, any closing thoughts before we uh, tie this thing up? You know what? You know it's a weird closing thought. I was not expecting that Astrodroid to turn into like a humanoid figure <laughs> with its hands and stuff, and it was kind of jarring to look at for a moment. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this droid. I, it is very, very creepy. That's not normal. It, it It's not. But uh, besides that, um, closing thoughts on Mandalorian Season 1. They've got, they've got me in it. And Baby Yoda lived. Baby Yoda didn't die. And I'm happy with that. Just want the fans to know I'm, I'm a fan of Baby Yoda living. I, and when he was getting hit by Jason Sudeikis and Adam Polly, those stormtroopers... I was kind of mad. <laughs> I'm glad the uh, the Baby Yoda fandom has won you over finally. What do you mean finally? I've been in it. I was I just saying. Okay, we're not going to gonna say... go back down this rabbit trail again. I'm sorry. Hold, hold on. I was willing. I was willing to be the bad guy so that we could get a better season. I was willing to do that for all of you. But I love Baby Yoda. I love, I love him. We appreciate your sacrifice, Chris. Thank you. No one thinks about the sacrifice. That, that'll be it for us. Uh, look into uh, more reviews of shows or movies as we go forward into the new year. Obviously, right now, uh, we're not working too much on the podcast just to gain some more ideas. And we'll come back in full force in January sometime and continue doing podcasts. And uh, hopefully, we'll find a new show to review. If there's a show you think we should review... Let us know in the comments. Give us some feedback on that. And with that said, we will see you next time, everybody. All right. See you guys. Bye.